The Old Testament text for today is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 3. This can be found in page 2 of your pew Bibles. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. That's found on pages 11, page 1133 in your pew Bibles. Romans 8, 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of God. Mm-mm. Oh, sorry, talking to Oscar. <laughs> he wanted to come up. Um, it occurred to me as I was sitting um, there that some of you may have come expecting a Christmas service this morning since we are very close to Christmas now. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, we're still, I mean, we are, uh, you know, I mean, it makes sense to expect that, I guess, that. The, the culture has been celebrating Christmas for, what, since Halloween? Um, but in the church, we have this season of fasting um, prior to that celebration called Advent, uh, which you heard Jamie talk about, and also um, which you're going to hear me talk about some more. So if you want to hear uh, me talk about the incarnation, uh, you're welcome to come on Wednesday at 10 a.m. We'll be here. And for the next two Sundays, we will be celebrating Christmas. But today, Advent. Um, I once heard this uh, comedian talk about Christians in one of his shows, and it was a touch revealing, you know, sometimes too revealing. I would show you the clip, but he swears a lot, so you're just going to have to hear it from me. And that's too bad for you, because it's not going to be funny when I say it. Um, But he said, you know, there are environmentalists, and then there are people who hate environmentalists. And he said it was very confusing for him because a lot of those people who hate environmentalists are very devout Christians. And he said this, if you believe that God gave you the earth, that God created the earth for you, why would you not have to look after it? Why would you not think that when he came back, he wouldn't be like, what did you do? I gave this to you. Are you crazy? You know, he's not a Christian, but he is pointing to a pretty gaping hole in the Christian witness. There are lots of Christians that believe that the world was created for us to use however we like, and even that destroying it will hasten Christ's return. There are others uh, who care for the environment because they think that that's important. Uh, but they don't see how that's connected to their faith at all. I would bet that there are some of you here um, who stand in that place who think it's really important to care for the world, but that's not part of your Christianity as you see it. And then there are other Christians who would say that their faith is the very reason that they think caring for the creation is important. And, you know, not to give a spoiler or anything, but those ones, they're right. (laughs) During Advent, we have been focusing our attention on the promises of God, on shalom, the peace that God is bringing. And we say that peace has several dimensions to it, right? Peace with God, peace with one another, peace within ourselves, and then people often forget this last one, peace with the land or with the rest of creation. And that's what we're talking about today. I think people forget this one because there's no explicit scriptures that say recycle or turn out your lights or don't drive too much. 
and probably because the people who wrote the scriptures did not have cars or lights or plastic bottles back then. Nor did they have the capacity to absolutely destroy the earth that we have now. But shalom with the earth, peace with the land, runs through the length of scripture from the beginning to the end, quite literally, from Genesis to Revelation. So we're going to start our discussion this morning in Genesis, Genesis 1.26. In it we read about who we are in the world, or at least who we were intended to be. God says this, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. That same sentiment is echoed in verse 28 when humans are given their very first command. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Now, some people think that those words give us permission to use God's creation in whatever way we want. You know, we rule over it. God put us in charge. Go nuts. And aside from that comedian's point that that's not how you treat a gift, to read it that way is to somehow completely forget about who God is. You know, a lot of powerful people in the world, a lot of earthly kings, have used their power in that way. They think that they can do, that because they can do whatever they want, they should, regardless of the consequences for other people and for the world. But that is not how God rules the world. And our rule comes from the way that God, that God rules. Right? When God commands it, it has to mean what, what God is. The text says, let us make human beings in our image so that they may rule. We can only follow this command because we bear the image of God. Being made in God's image is what makes us capable of ruling in the way that God wants. And that image is distorted in the fall, so we can only really follow that command by looking at how God rules the world and trying our best to follow suit. We can only rule properly when our rule looks like God's. And God's rule is never, ever just for pleasure and profit. Right? God's rule is always for the flourishing of all. And if you want to see what that looks like, you look at Jesus, who stepped down into this world in humility, who bent further still to wash feet and to heal the broken, and then further still to die in order to draw all of creation to himself, as it says in Colossians 1 and Philippians 2. That's what these verses in Genesis mean. Rule like that. Not taking whatever you can get, but giving of yourself. It is a sacrifice to rule. It is a laying down. That idea is clarified in Genesis 2.15, where for the third time now, we learn why humans are here. The Lord God took the human and put them in the garden to work it and to take care of it. The first human creature is put in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Humanity is creation's gardener, working with the creation to bring out its best, allowing it to flourish. And like a gardener does rule in a garden, right? They decide where things go, they decide what lives and dies, but they tend to it because they want to see it thrive. They want beauty and abundance from it. 
They don't so much lord over it as lord under it, like Jesus does for us, the servant king. Those words um, from Genesis, to work it and take care of it, in the Hebrew they are avad and shamar. They are the same words, listen to this, because this is lovely. They are the same words that are used to describe the roles of the priests as they attended to the articles of worship in the temple and tabernacle. To tend and protect. Avad and Shamar are the words of worship. In this world, we are rulers who rule as God does, in service and in humility, and we are priests who worship in our gardening gloves. And this was commanded to us before there was sin at all. That's like really important to note. This was our calling before the fall. Before we had to hear commands like, don't gossip, don't murder, don't lie, just so that we wouldn't destroy the thing. We heard this. You are here to tend and protect this world. It is your role and it is your worship. It is a calling that has nothing to do with sin and everything to do with who we were created to be. Before sin, before we had to deal with all the difficulties of broken relationships with the pain of this life, before we even needed salvation and forgiveness, we were gardeners in God's good earth. And most Christians would be quick to say about people, God cares for you because God made you. You are loved because you belong to God. And that's true for people, and it is also true for everything else that God made. In every step of creation, God looked at what God had made and saw that it was good. God made light and sky and land and sea and saw that it was good. God made fruit and seed and bark and leaf and saw that it was good. The stars and the sun and the moon, it is good. And on and on, it is good, it is good, until when God is finished. In Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. To be good in God's estimation, well, that's something. And then creation comes to its climax on the seventh day. Not with the creation of humans, which we are sometimes told, We share the sixth day with the rest of land animals, like nothing special, really. It comes to a climax on the seventh day, in the Sabbath, in God's rest. In that moment when God sat back to enjoy it all. The pinnacle of creation is God's delight. We are invited to share in that delight, to take pleasure in the creation, in all of the touches and tastes and smells and sounds. We are invited to rejoice in that, but it is first and foremost about God. And that comedian that I mentioned, you know, was pointing to a real problem, but he was also wrong. He got it wrong. You know, we don't care for the world because God gave it to us as a gift and we should care for a gift. It's much more serious than that. We care for the world because it belongs to God. And so do we. God put us here specifically to take care of the things that God loves. And when we neglect that job, the whole earth suffers. And when that happens, God suffers too. Because God loves it. Delights in it. And you find that delight and that pain throughout the law, the prophets, the wisdom, 
wisdom literature, and the Psalms. In response to God's generous creation, God's care and delight, the creation worships and praises just by being itself. Psalm 66, 4, and all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Isaiah 43, 20, in God's own voice, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God's creation worships. And we are not the only worshipers. We just join in the chorus. As those who claim to love God, should we not love what God loves and grieve when it suffers? As those who worship God, should we not seek to multiply that worship throughout all of creation? And as we, as God's gardeners, allow species to go extinct faster now than ever, are we silencing that worship? We are priests who have lost our way. Our treatment of creation is tied up with our love for God, with our peace with God, because as we love God, we must love what God loves. It's also tied up with our love of neighbor, When we destroy the land, people suffer. And it is the poor and the vulnerable who suffer first and most. Rich people can usually escape a disaster or they can afford a loss. But it's the poor people who are stuck. It's people who are poor who end up living in neighborhoods full of pollution. And it's poor countries that are forced to lower their um, environmental standards just so someone will build a factory there, right? It's the, poverty, it's the desperation of poverty that demands it. Our peace with God, our peace with one another, and also our peace within ourselves, they are all tied up. Now we have something called uh, nature deficit disorder. I don't know if you've heard of that, <laughs> but it's a thing. It's a diagnosable thing. Uh, Tony accidentally bought a book not too long ago called The Japanese Art of Forest Bathing, um, which is a thing. That's... <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, like there's like a trendy thing that's like just going for a slow walk in a forest uh, because we know, right? There's, I read a study lately like if you are sitting in your office and you can see outside and you can see trees, you're more likely to be productive than if you can see like a road um, because we are gardeners. It's like our sin and our battle with it has distracted us from what we were put here for. Now we're not gardening so much, we're just trying to survive. We're focused on ourselves or our group, not always sure how to participate in the flourishing of God's good earth, feeling like maybe we can't. And maybe that's why God made promises directly to the earth, that God would save it. In Genesis 8.21, God said, never again will I curse the earth because of human beings. And then in chapter 9, God makes a covenant with the earth itself and with all the creatures who live on it. And the earth has been cursed because of our sin. And God now resolves to save the earth from us. And that should break your heart a little bit. To know that our sin has hurt something that God loves so intently. 
and we who are here to keep and protect it are now the source of its suffering. Romans 8 tells us that all of creation has been subject to frustration in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It has been groaning, Paul says, with the pains of childbirth until now. Long, and Paul says that creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And that word um, that's translated, it waits in eager expectation, it literally means to crane your neck and look down the road to see what's coming. Why is it so eager, you think, for the children of God to be revealed? So that we can do our jobs. So that they will tend and keep God's good creation. So that we will be returned again to ourselves and we will be gardeners that we were intended to be. And all of creation will be set free even as we are. You can see how peace with the land is so tightly tied with peace with God, with one another, and with ourselves. There is no shalom without it. We get a bit of a hint at that from John's telling of the resurrection. Um, When Mary saw Jesus after the resurrection, she mistook him as the gardener. And T. Wright says that's exactly the right mistake to make. Jesus, the only sinless human, now also in the glory of the resurrection. Of course he's going to look like a gardener right? Returned again to humanity's first vocation. When sin and death are conquered for good, we will tend and keep the creation. Care for it, rule under it, looking after all that God loves. God's love is so much bigger than we sometimes imagine it. It encompasses everything. Believers are not being saved out of this world, but together with it. Our God doesn't waste anything. God is making all things new. As we talk about shalom or the kingdom of God, we always talk about the ways that we seek it now, that we live into it now even as we wait for it. And doing things to care for creation is a great way to do that. Reclaiming our role as gardeners, learning about how the things of this world flourish, and doing whatever we can to encourage that and support that, not just for ourselves, but for their sake. I feel like I should mention in this that our keeping and tending includes all like culture making. It includes art and invention and science, all these things. Um, but it requires of all those things that we do them with this intention, right? That they're not done like in a silo of I'm just gonna make whatever I can regardless, but with the vein of creation. Um, Anyway, there are like lots and lots of simple things that we can do to care for the world. And I think you guys probably know way more than I do, but I'm gonna say them anyways, just in case. Um, Planting trees is a good one. I read an article, some of you saw, I posted it on Facebook, that uh, if we planted three trillion trees, it might help, it might be like enough to deal with climate change. Um, That's a lot of trees, but I did the math and it's like 134 per person on the planet, which totally feels attainable. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> like, that's, that's like, doable, right? Um, I told that to uh, Ben and Katie Brower, and Ben was like, oh, I just cut down like four trees in my backyard. <laughs> so, so they're in the hole, but for the rest of us, it's attainable. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, things like sealing up our homes in the winter and riding your bike more. Like, there's so many simple things. A great one is to eat less meat, because the way we produce meat right now is super destructive to the earth and the animals. Um, a friend of mine suggested, and I love this as a method of discernment, here, I am not by no means perfect in this, working on it though, um, but she said, a good way to judge whether an animal is being treated in a way that would please God is to ask, was this chicken allowed to be a chicken? Because God's delight is wrapped up in its chickenness. Right? God loves when it like bobs and clucks and scratches at the ground. You can grow some of your own food or support a farmer who actually cares for the soil and not just the profits. There are a million ways to work and take care of this creation as we were intended to do, and each one, in each one, you will point towards the coming of the kingdom when we will be at peace with the land. In Advent, our focus, we have focused our attention especially on these coming promises. Right, as we wait for Christ to come on Christmas, we also wait, we kind of draw this parallel line, we are waiting for Christ to come again and fulfill these promises for good. We are longing for this world that he is bringing. It's the promise of Isaiah 11, where the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's the promise of Revelation 5.13, when the lamb who has been slain will stand at the center of the throne, and every creature in heaven and on earth and on the sea and all that is in them will say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And we will worship alongside God's good creation as gardeners once again, tending and keeping to the things that our good and holy God has made. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. Mary Oliver reminds us that we hardly see any of the beauty that you have put here. That we just so rarely slow down enough to, to take it in, to receive it with joy. Lord, may we um, recognize your pleasure in those beauties and recognize our true vocation as we attend and care to them care for them lord may we know shalom in pieces now maybe um, as we wait for it to come in full come lord jesus amen <laughs>